everyone, and welcome to the Balanced Purpose Podcast. My name is Ray Trevino, and I am your host. Each week, we will explore the essential elements of living a fulfilling, balanced, and meaningful life. Our podcast brings together entrepreneurs, business executives, coaches, and everyday people like you and me who have seen challenges and have overcome adversities to create success and find balance in their lives. Whether you're a young professional seeking to make an impact in your career, a parent looking to balance work and family life, or a retiree seeking to create a new purpose, our podcast is something for everyone. So join us as we delve into the world of living a balanced and purposeful life and discover how you can create a life of balance and purpose for yourself. Today's guest is a diverse and forward-thinking leader whose combat-tested knowledge brings a wealth of experience from both military and civilian sectors. He has a comprehensive background in logistics and aviation, specializing in maintenance operations and global logistics support. I'd like to welcome Jay Gregson to our show. Jay, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Hey, thank you, Ray. It's great to be here. I appreciate you uh, inviting me to be on this podcast. I've heard quite a few of them, and, and I really enjoy listening to them. Thank you for that. Jay, would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? So just to go back to the beginning, I was born and raised in Southern California in the mountains, Lake Arrowhead, graduated from Rim of the World High School, was set on a career path to go into athletics. My father was a professional baseball player with the Minnesota Twins. My uncle was drafted by the Cleveland Indians. My stepbrother played with the Philadelphia Phillies. So I just thought I was going to go down that trail. And after a couple of years of junior college out there at San Bernardino Valley College, I just got a little, I guess I'll say, discouraged with the process and and the things that were asked of you to to go play at the Division One level. And on a dime, I switched and joined the Air Force and went to Germany for seven years <laughs> as a wow. C one thirty mechanic. Dropped out of school, three weeks to get ready. I was playing center, so I was overweight for the Air Force standards. So dropped the weight. Went overseas as soon as I got off the uh, the plane. This was back in the 80s, 1985, when the Cold War was there and then we had all of our troops overseas. So to keep us from hanging out in bars and killing each other and fighting, we had a dynamic and very robust sports program. So they uh, found out I played football. And so I played football over there for seven years uh, while I was working and, and working on my airplane and learning that skill. And I was a dedicated crew chief. So, you know, my name was on the side of the plane and where it went, I went all over Europe, Africa, Desert Storm, Desert Shield, a lot of different things, supporting Ronald Reagan when he met with Gorbachev in Malta. Just a really great time. And then I played ball. It was a really good experience. And then after the war, came back, started a family, and then migrated back to the States and got back into school again, finished my degree and got my FAA license to work on airplanes because I was going to transition and get out. And a friend of mine during a, uh, a non-commissioned officer's academy graduation talked me into putting in for officer training school. So I did that and got turned down twice and was ready to get out, had a job lined up with Boeing, FAA, was going to use my certs and go and start a new life. And uh, during Desert Storm, I became a born-again Christian and, and changed my life and my direction and had some people speaking into my life that talked me back into it and prayed over my process and I reapplied, got turned down again and just said, okay, God, this isn't me. And then lo and behold, as God does, he surprised me after a glitch in the system, which actually I missed a board and I was really upset. And it turned out that the next board was when they accepted a lot more technical maintenance officers. 
and I made the cut. Wow. It was divine intervention. And at the time, you know, it was a lesson for me that, you know, sometimes when we, we want something so bad and something, you know, blocks us, you think, man, it just wasn't meant to be, but it just maybe wasn't meant to be then. And so the door, which was closed, was actually just wasn't ready to open yet for me. But I was going along with my cohort, some of my, my classmates. They went, you know, one, two, boom, and they were out. I slipped one, and I was like, ah. But yet, unfortunately, they didn't make it. But then I was able to hit that slot, and, you know, the rest is history, as they say. So, I, you know, I did that and then went up to Washington State and traveled around the United States and then down to South America, took a job as a foreign area officer down there. I was in the Ecuadorian Air Force for a couple of years, lived in Quito, Ecuador. So after Panama shut down, they set up an FOL, a foreign operating location there in Manta. And so participated in some of the, the counter drug operations down there and supporting the operation. And, and so that was fun. And growing up in Southern California, my father was also a contractor. So I learned Spanish. So when I went down there, they're like, oh, man, we really love your your expertise as a mechanic. Right. And this time I was officer. So they they got both things. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to go. I don't need you know, to go to language school and DLI out in Monterey. They send you for, you know, a year or so. And I said, I don't need that. Just give me a couple of months of immersion down there and I'll figure it out. And sure enough, I did. And I didn't realize that when you speak Spanish and then you go down into this country and they have a conscripted force that they have to do two years. And so they bring them out of the jungles, out of everywhere. And so they have a Quechuan language. Um, and then you have a military jargon that we use acronyms. We use all these different words. So they do that as well. So I'm trying to learn Quechuan airplanes, certain you know military stuff, and they don't really teach that with Rosetta Stone. The words are just so different. And so I'm sitting there. These guys are like, Capitan, Capitan, and I'm going, I'm going to fail. But me and the pilot were the only Americans in this whole organization, so I had to speak Spanish. Work through it, and then just like those pictures that you look at on the wall, and you stare at it long enough, and then all of a sudden your eyes twitch, and then you see Jesus on the wall or, you know, a picture of a fox or something. It was like that after about two months. It just clicked. Before you know it, I was eating, sleeping, dreaming Spanish, and the rest is history. So that was a highlight. Got done with that, came back to the States, and did some other jobs, combat search and rescue helicopters from Nellis. So that took me over to Afghanistan and, and some places that you never want to go to. And did 23 years in the Air Force, retired as a major. I uh, was getting ready to go on to the next level. And my daughter was getting ready to go into high school. And, you know, after 23 years, it was family time. I've served my country, right? And now it was time for my family that I'd neglected for that time. And so got out and then worked for Customs and Border Protection as a contractor on the southern border. They had started this tower initiative called SBI Net, where they set up these towers along the southern border to pick up people coming over. Very cool program that didn't last, unfortunately. Um, would have helped with our situation now with the, the border crisis. I was missing airplanes, so I got back into the airplane business, went up to Hill Air Force Base and went to the logistics center up there. And after a couple of years there, asked me to stand up a T-38 depot in San Antonio. Really enjoyed that. And after a while, wanted to go try something new outside of government, try to see what the real world was like. So I was working with the local university on their curriculum development program in, in aviation and 
they asked if, if I'd be interested or knew anybody that would want to come and do that. So I put my name in the hat and was selected to do that. So I ran that program for a while and, and helped them transition from a college to a university and really enjoyed that stuff. And then ended up parting ways there and got back into aviation again. I, as I get further away from my passion, I correct back. And so went and worked with Northrop Grumman, another defense contractor to go work airplanes, a big modification on C-130s and ended up running another P-3 program for a while and then had an opportunity to come over here to Ulista, which is now running a NASA program for all of the NASA airplanes that train astronauts to go into space. So the folks that are flying on SpaceX or supporting the space effort Artemis II going to Mars, uh, they're flying my T-38 jets that we work here. If you've seen the big guppy, the super guppy that has that big blister on the front, we fly that out of El Paso. WB-57 is a big reconnaissance plane that we capture all the splashdowns and re-entries. So that's what I'm doing now. But none of that is important, really, as probably my biggest accomplishments. Um, and I'll try to do this without crying because I'm, I'm a crier. It just proves how big my heart is, right? But my kids are my pride and joy. Um, Rebecca, she's 30, married to a great guy, Aaron. And then Jordan, he's a, a paramedic up in uh, Austin and a uh, fine young man. So I drug them through all this stuff. You know, my daughter was born in Germany, took them all over the United States, in and out of school, private school, home school, South America, DOD schools, expat schools, and they're both functioning fully literate and productive people who love Jesus. So... If I could say I did anything right, it was that. Well, from everything you just talked about, Jay, there is a lot of stuff to unpack there. You served our military for 23 years, so thank you for that, Major Gregson. How long after you got out of the military did you stay in the government sector? So I, I transitioned right out. For about eight months, I was on that SBI net program as a contractor for DHS. So probably from 2008 until 2013, I worked as a civil servant for the Department of the Air Force. And then how far into your military career were you when you're, I think Jordan's your oldest, right? When Jordan was born. Yeah, he was born in 1996. That's right when I switched over from an enlisted to an officer. I call him my OTS baby. But he got to go down, like I said, to South America when he was young. He was speaking Spanish and stuff. It was it was pretty fun to watch. That was going to be my next question is how the kids adapted to all the moving around and the different climates that they were under. I'm sure it was really different, which, which probably serves them well because I, I'm willing to bet that they adapt well to any situation here in the United States. That is true. So Jordan was pretty small and, and he's a boy. So he, you know, as long as he had his toys and sports and, you know, I coached him in baseball and football and basketball up until high school. So he was really involved with that. But my daughter, she was more unique. And when you talk about learning, whether it's one-on-one -on -one when her mom was teaching her or then going into a public school or private school and having to compete for that attention with a, a class. So there were some learning challenges there. I never thought she'd get out of high school and now she's a college graduate. So I'm really proud of that and her and what she's done. And, and Jordan, he's a sandbagger, you know, he's a good athlete, smart guy, and he makes it look easy, but uh, really good kids. And, and I'm proud of him. You know, you, you made a comment about Jordan. You said Jordan was a small kid. Now I've seen Jordan, you and I are friends. He's not small. He's like six, 
seven, six, five. Yeah, he's about six, seven. Um, and that's a story, too, because, you know, in high school, he developed scoliosis and kyphosis, which basically is where you bend like a tree sideways. And then he was also hunched over at the same time. So his back looked like a corkscrew. And he went through some challenges and ultimately had to have his whole spine fused and screws that go all the way through. And so, you know, he wanted to play ball and and go into the military and FBI and all that. And so that pretty much crushed that. But through his perseverance, he went through and did some volunteer firefighter stuff there in Arizona and then worked his way into the fire program and was able to pass the fire academy and then pursued EMT and then pursued paramedic and went to that academy and passed and then got hired in, in Austin, which is a very tough place to get into, went through their schooling and we didn't know if they were going to allow him to do that because his back was fused, you know, and by the grace of God, again, he had favor and he has had zero problems and passed all the academies and physical stuff. And now he's finishing his degree to become a physical therapist and do things in the medical trade. Now, a little bit about you, Jay. So you were turned down for officer training, not twice, but three times. What kept you going back? You know, I don't know. It was it was worth a try. Because living in the enlisted world, they don't pay a lot and you're doing a lot. And I wanted my wife to stay home and take care of our children. And in order to do that, I had my own car detailing business on the side and I would sell blood plasma, you know, to buy diapers. And so to me, it was worth that effort. Financially, it was something that uh, I wanted to try. And if I couldn't, then I knew I had the credentials and the education to get out and, and go do something in the civilian sector. But uh, I love serving my country. I've always considered myself a leader. And so it was just a natural draw to, to keep going. You know, I admire you, Jay. I didn't know that part about you, but it's very admirable. Number one, I love the way you said it was worth a try. But number two, everything that you did to make sure that you provided for your family without fault, you never said, you know what, I've been in the military for this amount of time. They owe me. No one ever owed you anything. You knew what you had to do to get it done and you kept going. And all that time you said it was worth the try. And so that's what kept you going. That is a character trait that is truly admirable. And I guess the big question is, how do we impose that on people today? Just being in the United States of America is huge. You know, you look at everything you have and you've seen third world countries. You've seen how poor they are, how painful it is. And just the things that we have nowadays are just reminders of how blessed we are. But not everybody looks at things the way you do. Where did that mindset come from? That thought that it was worth the try. I know I've got to take care of my kids. Was that from your upbringing? Was your father that way? Is that something that you picked up along the way? You know what? I think that was the root of it. I'm one of four kids. I grew up in the mountains. And my dad, you know, again, was playing pro ball and, and not making a lot of money. And finally, after two kids, he says, I'm done. They wanted to try the Tommy John surgery on him, but he said no. So uh, he was a contractor. He was a hustler. He was a worker. I watched him learn and do trades and build houses and walls and drove a bus. He did a bank run for Bank of America. He had three jobs. He was always gone. And my mom would do crafts. She did hair. There was nothing they wouldn't do. And that's why I say I never lacked anything. So it was just natural that you just do what you got to do, man. You don't sit there and whine about it. You know, if we were poor, I didn't know it. 
So it was a natural thing up until the point where I believe that where it truly came from was from the Lord, from God. And becoming a Christian and being a servant leader to where you put others before yourself and the service to my country to give back. And even now I'm serving my country. I'm at the pinnacle of aerospace that I never would have thought joining the Air Force at 19 years old. But God has put me here to serve my country still in this capacity. And that's why I love my wife, Lenore. She is the, I'm going to cry again. (laughs) Bring it. That's what we do. She's the most giving person. And she's with me at the hip on that. She's got a testimony coming out of anorexia, losing a child, building her business, and now is the top 20 bodybuilder in the world competing in the Olympia next month. But we give back, and that is our passion to just bring others along. We do charities and boards. And and that is just our passion to naturally give back because we've been given so much. We're so blessed. And so I I just think that's what it is. I love watching other people succeed. That's why I got in higher education. That's why I got in coaching. I was a youth pastor for a while and and a lay pastor in, in churches and, you know, do mission trips and those types of things. It's just I fill my day with 100% of everything I can do. And people sometimes are like, Jay, how do you even breathe? And it's like, I don't even notice it. And if I'm not doing it, I'm anxious. And I feel like I'm missing an opportunity of some sort, you know. So it's one of those things they say you need to write a book sometime. And I actually, I am writing a book about character. That's probably the biggest thing that I... I'll say is my one string banjo nowadays. And there's different elements of character. And when you put the three things together that we were working on as I was doing the higher education was your skills, right? I can work on an airplane. I can be a nurse. I can be a computer programmer. I have a skill. And then I have the knowledge. So I have a certification. I have the education. I have something that qualifies me. But then you have the character, you know, skills, knowledge, and character. And, and then when I was doing my dissertation and studies for my doctorate, I was working in placing folks in the aviation industry. And I would talk with HR folks from the MROs, the, the maintenance, repair, and overhaul facilities, the ones that tear the planes apart, airlines, mom and pops, parts fabricators. And I would say, as you're interviewing our students, what's important to you? Is it the skills, knowledge, or the character? said that character was more important than those other items. And what I was defining as character are things like communication, leadership, stewardship. Those which were normally soft skills are now becoming the hard skills. And you can see that in our society today. I can have somebody come in with a PhD and they can do their job working circles around people. But if they don't have the character, if they're lying to you, if they can't communicate, if they're stealing from you, if they're unreliable, they don't show up on time, right? Dependability. If those things aren't a part of that, that's the synergistic effect that makes those other two elements more powerful, then it's a non-starter to me. And a lot of people will say that. So that was what I was looking to prove out in my studies. But since I left education and I was getting an EDD, I still believe in those principles. So I'm taking that research and I'm putting it into a book about character that I'm trying to do in my spare time, right? Whatever that is, because I think it's important, especially now. Now is the time that this is appropriate to hopefully share and help people to develop that character because it matters. And it stands out nowadays because we're lacking that in in so many elements of our society. It is something that's gone away. And, you know, back when I was in the corporate world out of college, I 
I worked for Methodist Hospital, and I had a, a coach back then that that told me you can teach anyone to do anything, but the one thing that you can't teach someone is character. Mm-hmm. So when you're interviewing, you know, the character trait is the first thing you always want to look for. When we met, I don't know if you remember when we first encountered each other at Gold's Gym in the locker room. You're like the third manager I'd seen. You were showing a new guy how to clean and properly do his job. And I'm like, this guy has got it going on, man. I brought that up to you when I first met you. I said, you're the only guy I've ever seen that you're taking the time to teach somebody and and establish expectations. And I said, man, that's awesome. And that's excellence. That's what I strive for. That's what I do here. You are that. And so you should be proud of that as well. Thank you. That actually means a lot to me. You know, it's always about not just telling someone what to do and setting an expectation, but it's making sure that somebody completely understands, right? And you can't just say, hey, hey, go and do this. You have to make sure that there's a completeness to it. So now we'll get into the fun stuff. Uh, You made a comment earlier. You said, Jay, how do you breathe? Well, how does Jay find balance in his life? What are some things that you do to make sure that you just don't go crazy? Well, during those times, a lot of sports so in the Air Force, like I said, I played football. And then uh, when I got back to the States, I still wanted to hit people with my head. So I took up rugby. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Made the all Air Force mm-hmm. and then all Armed Forces team and did that till I was about 40. Always a power lifter, lifting weights. I like to travel, uh, like to work out, stay fit, do those kinds of things. I find my peace and my relaxation and quiet times, getting my inner self centered and spending time in the Word of God, praying, those types of things. But I'm still just a kid. You know, I'm 58 years old, but I'm still a kid at heart. So I like to just play around, lay on the beach, lay on the pool here. We're in South Texas. So, you know, we're beach bombs. And so we're living that kind of life. We have a house in Georgia. So when I lived there, we'd play golf. I lived around on a golf course. And so uh, that was a sport that I can play now that my bones are all broken and I have titanium elbow and knee and all that stuff. Uh, golf is a, a great outlet. I've really enjoyed playing. And, uh, But other than that, just staying busy, staying engaged, try not to get too worked up on the things going around. People that know me on social media probably know my presence out there. I I joke a little and then I'll throw some political stuff or Christian stuff. And so I'm kind of diverse, right? Well, you know, you call it diverse. I call it balance. Yeah. And I love your point on athletics because when people talk about balance, a lot of people say, well, I've got to sleep eight hours a day. I've got to meditate. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Every single individual finds balance in their own way, right? And with you, it's it's sports. Yeah. It's staying busy, but yet that keeps you centered. There you go. Now, moving on to, to your purpose, how do you define purpose in your life? My purpose now at, at this season of my life, because I believe I've gone through seasons, right? Where this season is, is, is I'm in the twilight of finishing my working career, and I'm 58, so within the next five years, I'm going to be transitioning into more retirement. And so right now, where I feel that my purpose is in the culmination of my aviation experience is bringing it to this organization and all of my leadership skills, my technical skills are all coming to bear. There's been some challenges coming in here with the position that they created for me in a way to be able to bring the team together and to, and to work together. So that's where I'm trying to impart that to where I'm at 
and, and bring this place to excellence. That's my purpose. While I'm very passionate about my faith, and so being able to, especially in these times, make sure that that is perfectly clear of who I serve and why I do what I do, the why. And it's not about putting airplanes in the air. It's not about this and that. It's about making people better. Each of the 200 people that I am over, that they understand that they have a purpose, that they do good work, and it is recognized. Sending a note to people who do things behind the scenes, the little fairies that that nobody even understands until it's not done. And that's a gift that my daughter has is when she was going through those problems, she was always eating lunch alone. She was very devout Christian, didn't kiss a boy, didn't date boys, didn't do anything. So you don't get invited to the prom a lot. You don't get asked out on dates a lot. She wasn't alone. You know who else she was sitting next to? A lot of the special needs kids. And they were attracted to her because she sees the unseen. That's what I believe my gift is. And my purpose is to see the unseen. To be able to see the people. Haven't been a mechanic and now I have mechanics working for me. I've walked in their shoes. I've been without. So I understand when they ask for something, why they're asking. Or, you know, some people struggling at the middle levels of how to communicate, how to motivate people. They were taught to just do because I said so out of fear of manipulation. I try to teach them skills on how to get to a better conversation and, and the why that this is how you can do those kinds of things. So those different little tenets, my parents have brought me, that God has brought me, my kids have brought me, my wife has brought me. You try to just give those back. Again, as a servant leader, I'm serving others in any way possible that I can. And that's that's my purpose is when I leave a room, I want somebody to say, you know what? I'm glad that guy was here because I learned something. I'm glad that guy's here because he heard me. That's what matters because I lost my dad suddenly when he was 52 and I had a lot of plans to do with him and I never got the chance. So I don't want to miss a chance to change a life. And I have different experiences where people you don't even realize you touch their lives until, you know, one guy, when I was playing ball overseas, he wasn't the best player. He was kind of a knucklehead, kind of an outcast and kind of shunned. I met up with him like almost 30 years later, first time. He said, you know, I've never told you this, but back here in 1986, you were the stud football player. You were Mr. Popular and all this stuff, but you made me feel like one of the guys when nobody else did. And I've waited this long to tell you. And, you know, that just makes it all worth it. Makes it all worth it. Yep. There you go. Because it hasn't always been gumdrops and lollipops, you know. Um, after my motorcycle accident, if you remember that. I do. Yeah you know, went through that sign and broke my nose, my sternum, both my legs, snapped my arm off. I should have been dead. So those are those quiet times and you're recovering for four months in a hospital, going through PT and it makes you appreciate nurses. And when I was running a nursing program, I had to speak at their graduation. I broke down like a baby because they're there when you need them most. You're so helpless and they're there. There's just so many different situations that God teaches you in those seasons, and then that's where you feel so compelled to give back to whatever that is, because too much has been given, much is required, and we can't just be takers. I've always been considering myself as a giver, and I hate to take in a way. It's, it's hard for me to accept gifts or praise. It just makes me uneasy in any way, shape, or form, but I love 
recognizing people. I love blessing people and they don't know it. Things to be able to do that. So financially, as I've gotten to this point in my life where I'm very comfortable and blessed that you remember the unseen, the kids in Uganda that need school. You know, I sponsor a child there. Just, you know, the little things that can make a difference in somebody's life. And ultimately, it's that love of Christ that I want to share. And I don't have to say that. I don't have to proselytize, and you know, although I do that too. And I will be bold about my faith in Jesus Christ. But in just loving people and doing the things, that shows through. Truth is truth, right? Whether you say it or not, truth is going to come out. And that's my truth is the only truth. And so that's where I believe that that God has continued to show me favor and protection. And I should have died many times, whether it's on airplanes or motorcycles or playing sports where I felt things like my back was going to break and it didn't. And God has kept me on this earth for a reason. And, and, and I've seen people in my life that have left early and and there's regrets. And I never want that. And, and I never want to shuck from a opportunity to share love if I can, grace when I can. And I'm working on that. You know, I could be singing a gospel song and somebody cut me off and I've lost my religion. And it's that quick. You know what I mean? So I still am Jay. But my heart, I believe, is is in the right direction. It's owned by the master. And uh, he'll get me to where I need to go. Gosh, what an amazing story, Jay, from giving plasma to giving to people in Uganda. That is quite the story. (laughs) Wow. You've had a pretty extraordinary life, and I'm sitting here living it with you, and I appreciate you sharing it with me and with our listeners. Now, in, in today's world, there are many people that struggle to find their purpose and direction. I mean, we live in a time where there are a lot of people that are lost out there. You know, they're comparing themselves to people on Instagram, like that's the way life should be. What's some advice that you would give to someone today that's struggling to find their identity and purpose in life? Well, I mean, as a man of faith, it starts with finding Jesus. And even folks with Jesus still struggle finding what their purpose is, right? I've always started with find out what you like to do and do it well. Enjoy the journey. Sometimes what you want and what you think you need now may not always be it. So be patient. Seek good counsel. Surround yourself by good people who are going to speak truth and life into you. Because the folks on TikTok and the folks on Instagram are never going to be that answer. And that's the shame that I think that society tends to lead to, that they even look there for the self-help books. Sometimes those are tools, yes, but those are not the panacea that's going to necessarily fill your void. But if you have people that you trust, and it's not many, I have maybe three or four that I can say that I trust them and I, and I want them to pour into my life. So you need to have those type of people who are lifting you up and that will hold you accountable and that will say, hey, Jay, tighten it up. You know, I have a buddy, Tim Langley, who was my mentor back in the day and Wes Johnson and James Williams and some of these guys who are in my life today after so many years. And, you know, I don't want to name too many because then, you know, there's too many that I don't want to offend either. But they've they've all had different places in my life. Right. And so you have to give a lot of people maybe your attention, but you don't only give a few access access to you to that level and into your inner circle. 
Okay, that's only a special group that should be in there. And if you're looking around you and the people aren't better than you or smarter than you or lifting you up and lifting and encouraging you and, and moving you forward, then then you need to remove them from your life because they're only going to hold you back. So I, I really do believe that your surroundings and we've gotten out of those social interactions through emails and texts and all those kinds of having this conversation face to face, right? We've interacted virtually, but we haven't talked face to face in, in, in years and you can maintain a relationship, but the, even this has brought us closer, right? When you have this, this kind of intimacy, if you will. So I really think that that's a lost form in our society is having an inner circle that really is meaningful and is speaking truth into you and has your common good and your goals in the forefront, not how they can get something from you. Those are all great takeaways. First off, being thankful, right? We have to, we have to appreciate what we have because we do have it so good and not to compare. And what a lot of people don't understand, and I think this is another problem with the social media world out there, is, is patience, right? You see 19-year-old kids and 20-year-old kids with these Lamborghinis and six-pack abs and cool hair, and everybody thinks that that's the norm. And then all, all of a sudden, you know, you have kids wondering why they can't get it. And then all of a sudden they go into depression or start stealing things or whatever it may be. And then surround yourself with good people. I mean, Jim Rohn said it. You are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. You know, you always want to level up. You know, I, I never want to be the smartest guy in the room. I don't, which is why you'll see all my guests and, and my editor over here are all smarter than I am. So I learn something every time I turn this podcast on. And that's by design. I do it that way because I always want to pick up something new and learn something new and make sure that my inner circle, which is becoming my guests, is doing good by me. And I've watched you go from the Gold's Gym to now owning your own business and having a family. I've seen your, you get married. I've seen your children be born. And, and I'm like, I'm the biggest fan, bro. And, and that's why I'm honored to be on your show. Likewise, I appreciate that. That means a lot. You know, it's about living a balanced and purposeful life and it begins at home. And you get that. Well, Jay, thanks so much for being on the show today. Man, it's been a great time and a blast. And it's, it's good to see you again. Yeah, man. You too. Balance Purpose Podcast was created and hosted by me, Ray Trevino, and is produced and edited by Nick Galtney. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Check us out at balancepurposepodcast.com and on Instagram at balancepurposepodcast. Remember, finding your purpose is a journey, not a destination. And it takes time and effort to achieve balance. Make it a great day.